Well, good morning. What a gift it is to be with you all today on this Confirmation Sunday. What a gift to see those eight students up here. Um, it's just such a great reminder. They were so brave and so courageous on Monday night to stand in this big pulpit and to say their personal statements of faith. I feel personally encouraged. Thank you guys for sharing with our um, session and our, our elders and our deacons. And thank you to the parents who have just so graciously and diligently brought your students all year long. You've walked with them, you've taught them, you've shown them the way, and we're thankful for all that you have done. And to our volunteers, of course. Thank you all. So today, we're going to take a quick break from our study of Hebrews um, for this special Confirmation Sunday to look at a passage that really goes with the commitment that these students have made today. Our scripture passage today comes from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. This may be a very familiar passage to many of you, um, or it may be brand new. So either way, I invite you to open your Bibles. Um, There's Bibles in the pews. Open your phones or look up to the screens and be open to what God might speak to you today through these words. Follow along as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so I want you to take a brief moment and think about what it was like to be in eighth grade. For some of us, that's super close by. For me, particularly, it's only a few years ago. No, I'm kidding. Um, Or others, it's very, very hard to remember. But you were probably about 13 years old. You were in middle school. You may remember some of your eighth grade teachers. Likely, you were getting involved really deeply in some sports or a musical instrument. Maybe eighth grade was a really great time for you. You were preparing for high school and looking forward to the freedoms that you had ahead. Or maybe eighth grade was sort of, and you'd rather not remember it. Uh, For some, those of you who are in elementary school or in sixth and seventh grade who haven't yet gotten to eighth grade, just buckle up, you'll get there. Maybe you're excited about standing up front here and professing your faith to all these friends and family. Maybe you're terrified to do that. Either way, you're going to get to eighth grade one way or another. 
You have a lot to look forward to in the next few years. For me, eighth grade was definitely not my favorite. I was awkwardly gangly, my limbs were too long for my body, I had acne and braces, and I played the flute as a band nerd in the middle school band. I remember constantly feeling out of place and insecure. Can anyone relate to that? I, probably not these eighth graders, you would never feel that way, it's just me. I would look at the kids who seemed like they were peaking in middle school. I was so jealous of them because I felt so uncomfortable and they looked so comfortable. I remember wishing I was somewhere else most of the time. Eighth grade is a pivotal time in our lives. We're finally old enough to think for ourselves. We're old enough to stand on the steps of the church and claim what it is we believe in Jesus Christ. We have some freedoms. We're expected to act like adults most of the time, yet we're still too young to do most of the adult things. We can't drive yet. We really can't do much of anything without our parents or an adult around. We're often seeking belonging. We're seeking a sense of home. We're seeking that in our families and in our schools, with our friends and at church. Where do I fit in? How do I belong? It may be that that feeling of belonging is difficult to find. I know it was for me. We don't feel safe in those places because of how insecure we are. We don't know where our identity lies. Am I a good sports person? Am I a music person? Am I outgoing? Am I introverted? Where do I stand? Or maybe it's because of the instability around us. There's no safety anywhere. We feel isolated and alone. Today, our scripture talks about finding a different kind of home. We're going to look at this section of scripture where Jesus is talking about making our homes in him. A type of home that is far more secure, far more comfortable, and way safer than any other home we have experienced. A home where we're encouraged to grow as the people God created us to be. This passage might be one that you've heard preached on numerous times before. It's very illustrative in its language, and it describes a vine and a vine dresser. Verse 1, Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This descriptive language helps us picture the images described. For those of you who are really good with plants, that's not me, or if you spend some time at a vineyard, you may know exactly what Jesus is talking about here, a vine growing with branches springing off of it, and a vine dresser or a farmer who's tending the plants. We see Jesus as the vine and God the Father as the farmer. And then the branches are all the people that are following Jesus. This metaphor of the vine is not brand new to Scripture. It's important to note that it's been used before. In the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, God's chosen nation, is described as the vine in Psalm 80. Israel is referred to as a vine that God paved the way for to be planted and to flourish. He saved this vine from Egypt and made a way for them through his promises. But Israel was not faithful to God. The vine collapsed. They were unable to follow God perfectly, and the vineyard was ruined. It was ravaged and picked over. They were unable to produce healthy fruit because of their sinfulness and their wayward wandering from the Lord. 
but God didn't leave them in destruction. God had an answer for their sin. Israel was unable to be the true vine, so God sent a savior. He sent his one and only son to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is described here as the true vine. The old vine of Israel did not work, but in Jesus we have a new vine, one that is perfect and strong and steady and alive. The people no longer have the pressure of being the vine. Israel couldn't cut it. We have someone who takes that place for us so that now our job is just to abide in the vine. When people who follow Jesus abide in the vine, fruit is produced. It's no longer up to the people to produce the fruit. It's no longer up to the people to be the perfect vine. Now with Jesus, the people merely have to remain in him and be connected to the vine. The vine is that which produces the fruit. Pressure's off. We can't do it on our own, friends. Eighth graders, you stand up here today saying, I believe in Jesus. Guess what? It's not just you alone. You are abiding in Jesus. Our job is to cling to the vine, to abide in the vine, remain in the vine, steep in the word of God, following Jesus and making our home in him. So what does that look like? to make our home in Jesus. The message translation by Eugene Peterson of this verse four says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. Don't you just love that? Make your home in me. Let's talk about home for a moment. Home is something that can bring up mixed feelings for people. Home may have been a safe and loving place for you as a child and you have great feelings about home. Or it could have been a place of yelling and fear, and loneliness. You may try to make your own home perfectly clean, or cozy, or joyful, or bright, or full of people, depending on how you want your home to feel. Or maybe you've moved so many times in your life, you never really had a home. It's always transitory and unstable. Or maybe you've been in the same home for the, your entire life, and you feel suffocated by home, you just want to get away, to move somewhere else, find something new and refreshing. Or maybe the place where you feel most at home isn't where you live, but it's the people that you surround yourself with. Or maybe you feel most at home at church. We call this a church home for a reason, often referring to a place where people want to feel safe and loved and comfortable. However you feel about home, our earthly home is never going to be fully satisfactory and fulfilling. It can't. No matter how much money we spend on the materials of home, no matter how huge our home is, no matter how small our home is, no matter how much love fills our home, our earthly homes are broken. Which is why when I was in eighth grade, I felt like I was never at home. In fact, when I was a little girl, I went to Camp Mystic every summer. I would go for the entire month of July, and the first day, without fail, I always felt homesick. I just wanted my bed and the air conditioning and my, my family, mostly my family. 
right? But the air conditioning too. But soon after we got into the swing of things, I stopped thinking about home and I got really into the life of camp and I loved it and every day went by and I was like, I want more, I want more. It was so much fun. Then after the month was over, my family would pick me up, drive me back to Houston and I would feel camp sick. I missed my home at camp, my bunk and my fan and my trunk and my friends and the beautiful hill country. And I thought, wait a minute, am I just going to miss wherever I am not? Then I went off to college, and if I'd have a really hard day away from home, I'd feel very homesick. I'd cry and cry into my pillow and say, I just want to go home. It's like Dorothy clicking her heels. Just want to go home. Then when I went off, uh, then as I got older, there were times when I was literally at home, in the safest, most comfortable place in the planet, with the people who love me the most, and I would still find myself homesick longing for home, sort of saying to myself, I want to go home. Oh, wait, I am home. Why, why am I saying that? I began to realize that home, that the home I was intended for cannot be found on this earth. The home that we are intended for as God's people is a home with God, our creator, Jesus, our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, our sustainer. Really, I was homesick for the peace and joy and love that can only be found in Christ. I was seeking camp or home or college or my dorm or whatever it was for safety and for that feeling of wholeness, and I was not finding it anywhere. When everything around me was hard, what I was craving was security and comfort. And we can't find that in a sustaining way on this earth, yet we try. Jesus is telling us to make our homes in him. That our true satisfaction, our true joy, true love can only be found in the true vine. We're only able to grow and produce fruit when we are connected to the vine. Whereas for me, I didn't really thrive in all the hard circumstances I encountered. The vine thrives beyond all circumstances beyond all of life's challenges. Jesus, the vine, resisted temptation. Jesus, the vine, remained perfect. Jesus, the vine, was put to death on a cross, and yet he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave and thrived, and it went against all human understanding. A branch cannot thrive on its own. It cannot do anything on its own. Verse 4 says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. But the vine is strong and powerful. When the branch is deeply connected to the vine, even through all the difficult circumstances it faces, the branch produces fruit because the vine can withstand anything. And guess what? God is in control of all of it. God has the opportunity to prune and cut away the things that are not healthy for the branches. God clears away the branches that fall away and die. But God also cuts back the unhealthy parts of the connected branches so that they might grow even more fruit. So what is this fruit? Our passage describes three different things. Verse 7 talks about, ask about anything and you will, get, you will be given it. So answered prayers. Verse 11 talks about joy, and 12, this passage talks about love. These are parts of the fruit that God gives us. We see the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians 5.22. We see additional fruit described in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. All of these 
describing the character of one who follows Jesus and makes their home in him. We must remember, though, that the fruit is produced by God and for God. How easy is it to take our fruit around and show it off a little bit, right? Look at all my fruit. I just got confirmed at my church, and I'm doing a really good job studying scripture every day, and I'm loving people, and I'm full of joy. Look at all of my fruit. My tendency is to want to earn and achieve more and more fruit. Good. Pile it in the, pile it in the bucket. It's mine. It's not for me. It's not made by me. I cannot earn fruit. We don't produce it on our own, and if we did, we'd think we could earn God's love by trying harder, doing more. But when we are abiding in Christ, it's through the power of the Spirit that the fruit is produced for the glory of God. Not so we can boast, but for God's glory alone. It's why when we take our offerings, we remind one another that we're giving the first fruits. That's not only what we've received monetarily, but also the gifts that you've been given. That fruit that's produced in your life by God is meant to be given back to God for his glory. Like singing, or worshiping, or serving as an usher, or as a confirmation mentor, or as a teacher. Using those fruits for God's glory. So if we continue with the farming metaphor, We think about this farmer who has painstakingly planted this vine and waited and waited. They provide nourishment and water and all the things that that it's needed in hopes of bearing great fruit. They're not hoping that it'll die. The farmer is not hoping that it'll just turn to nothing. The farmer has high hopes that it will produce fruit. And imagine the joy of the farmer when the fruit begins to grow. That is how God sees us when we are abiding in the vine and fruit is produced for his glory. He is joyful at his children bringing those fruits for him. We can't ignore the warning given in this text. God the Father is at work in the vine to cut off the branches that are not producing fruit. Verse 2 says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then he continues in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Those who have chosen not to make their home in Jesus, not to follow Jesus and abide in him, will be thrown out. Those branches cannot survive on their own. They need the nourishment of the powerful vine. But let us see what else it says in the second part of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God is at work in our lives pruning us as we grow, as we continue to abide in Jesus so that more fruit is produced, cutting back the things that are distracting us from Jesus, that are tempting us away from the vine. God does this for more growth. Some of those tough times in our lives need to be cut out. Some of those tough things that are hard on us are cut out so that we might be transformed to be more like Christ, more settled in his love, more connected to him, resisting the distractions and temptations of this world. 
Sometimes pruning really hurts. Our homes here on earth are pretty comfortable. We get satisfied with what we see right in front of us. We feel like home is enough here on earth. We forget to make our home in Jesus. We have to give up the homes of this world in order to surrender to Christ. And this isn't always easy. At the young age of eighth grade, many of our confirmation students have already begun to go through some pretty extraordinary challenges. They live in a broken world, as we all do, bombarded by sin and brokenness, and sometimes it's hard to see the light of Christ in the darkness of this world. But in their faith statements on Monday night that they read to the elders and deacons, these students were vulnerable about the difficult things that they've encountered in their lives, their doubts, their fears, their identity. But they all articulated that their faith in Jesus Christ is the first thing that they believe. Jesus Christ as their savior. Their longing to abide in Christ as the foundation of their lives. When they have faced troubles, God has been with them and they have found hope in Jesus. Friends, let us be like these eighth graders. Let's not bury the hard stuff. Let's not hide away, but let's cling to the vine. Exposing those hard places so that God can prune us so that more fruit might be produced for his glory. Let us let go of the safety of the broken earthly homes that we have tried to live in. Let us let go of the identities of this world and seek to make our home in Jesus so that we can receive the grace and love of God as he prunes us so that we might be sanctified, holy, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. Confirmation students have joined this church's covenant partners, but more than that, they have made their home in Jesus. They're ready to abide in him. And as part of that living and following of Jesus, they are joining a covenant community here at FPC because they are not to do this alone. They need you. And guess what? You need them too. To learn from one another, to walk with one another, to remind one another, hey, stay in, the, stay in the vine. Stay in the vine. I know it's hard, but God is calling you to something bigger. Watch me. When I was your age, I wanted to get off the vine. I wanted to create my own vine. I wanted to make my own fruit. But here's what God has taught me. Learn from these students. Watch them grow. Teach them and listen to them. At the end of our passage, verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's not just about the relationship between Jesus and us individually, the love that is between us, but it's also about the love that we share with others. We hope that these students go from here ready to share the love that they have from Christ to the people that they see in school and at sports and in their everyday lives so that we might have joy. The last verse, verse 11, continues, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let us be joyful. Jesus is offering us joy that goes beyond anything we can imagine. We can't do anything without Jesus and we cannot experience his love and joy without remaining in him. 
even though the pruning can be difficult, the promise is joy. The promise is hope. The promise is life eternal. The promise is unconditional love. Might we surround these eighth grade students with love so that they might be encouraged to stay connected to the vine. So to our confirmation students, eighth graders, I want to encourage you to abide deeply in Christ, to not just have Jesus as one part of your life, but to realize that you can literally do nothing without him. Remember this day when you stood before the congregation, when you said publicly that you believe in Jesus as Lord, that not just for today, not for tomorrow, not for next week, not just for high school, but for your entire lives, that you would cling to the love of God through Jesus Christ. You would follow him and believe in him. And as a part of this church community, you're not the only branch on the vine. Imagine each person growing individually and the amount of impact that God would have for his kingdom when fruit is developed by all of these individuals clinging to hope in the vine. That is the group that you've joined today. Let us do this for the glory of God. You are not alone. So church, this applies to us as the body of Christ. We're individually abiding in Jesus. We're, we're individuals. We're re unique in the way that we've been created, but we are connected to the same vine. We come together with the same purpose. Our home remains together in Christ, and we're called to love one another as we abide in him. What glory we will bring to the Father for his sake because of his good work in us. Make your home in Jesus, friends. Abide in him. Be steeped in his word. Be saturated in his love. And allow the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in your heart and your life. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us through Christ Jesus, your Son. We thank you that we are not alone, that as we join together to abide in you, we are branches connected by the vine, Jesus Christ, the true vine. Thank you, Lord, for these eighth grade students. We pray that you would continue to grow them, that they would produce fruit for your glory, and that they would remember when they're feeling lost that they have a home in you. God, we pray that these words would take deep root in our hearts as we go from here to share your love with the world. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.